You're listening to the So What Podcast. ever read ancient fiction, you don't see historical detail, historical characteristics. But we do see it in the Gospels. The Gospels have a a truth-like quality. They refer to these real-world places, these real-world figures, and real-world cultural phenomena that you just don't see elsewhere in ancient fiction. Uh, So I I think it's absolutely significant for us that the Creed draws us into history. Welcome to the So What Podcast, where we discuss theological and philosophical issues to ask that obvious question, so what? I'm your host, Kyle Bashirs, and I'm joined by our cast of contributors, Dave Kakish, Matt O'Reilly, and Brad Mills. Well, on this episode, we're very excited to have with us Dr. Ryan Putman. Dr. Putman is a graduate of the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, where he received a Ph.D. in Theological and Historical Studies. And he's currently Assistant Professor of Theology and Culture at the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He is the author of In Defense of Doctrine, Evangelicalism, Theology, and Scripture, published by Fortress Press, and is currently working on a forthcoming conceptual sequel to In Defense of Doctrine, dealing with the tension between the clarity of Scripture and the diversity of doctrinal interpretation. Today, Dr. Putman joins myself, Dave, and Brad to discuss the fifth line of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. During our conversation, we discussed the importance of Pilate's inclusion in the Creed as an anchor into the authentic historicity of the life, death, and burial of Jesus Christ. We also discussed whether or not God died on the cross given the hypostatic union of Christ's human and divine natures. And finally, we outlined the atoning accomplishment of the cross of Christ as it relates to salvation. Before we head over to the discussion, again, we'd just love to thank you for listening to So What Podcast and for sharing it with your friends. If you enjoy the show, why not consider helping the podcast grow by rating and reviewing it in iTunes? Seriously, what are you waiting for? Head over to iTunes now and let us know how you find the show. Well, I mean, if you're listening to this in the car on your way to work, maybe pay attention to the road. Safety first. But when you get to work or home or wherever, well, you know what to do. You can find out more information about the show and its contributors at sowhatpodcast.com. Questions about this and any future episodes can be submitted by emailing hello at sowhatpodcast.com. You can keep up with the latest news by following us on Twitter at sowhat underscore podcast. Let's head over to our interview with Dr. Putman. Well, Dr. Putman, thank you very much for uh, joining us here on So What? It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you guys as well. Well, uh, as you may have guessed, we're going through the Apostles' Creed, and uh, today we find ourselves uh, in, in a very interesting line, and uh, it goes like this. Christ, he, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. 
Now, in that one statement alone, uh, there is quite a bit of information. There's quite a bit uh, to unpack. I mean, a lot of what it means to be a Christian can be found in there. And I think uh, right, right off the bat, uh, the creed here is reminding us, uh, in weeks before, we've di- we discussed uh, about who Christ is in his person. But, but right here, talking about Christ being crucified, his death, and his burial— It's reminding us that it's just as important to express belief in Christ's work as it is in Christ's person. But one thing that that jumps out to me at the beginning is this detail that Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate. And that seems very specific, right? Because the events that that surrounded Christ's suffering um, were were more. They were beyond Pontius Pilate. I mean, why, why doesn't the creed mention that he was tried under Caiaphas. Uh, do you think there's a specific purpose to including uh, Pontius Pilate in this creed? Well, uh, I can't. I, I can probably only speak to the audience. I mean, this would have been a predominantly Gentile audience who would probably be more familiar with Pontius Pilate. But of course, I, I think it's more beneficial to us uh, because someone like Pilate is so well noted by so many people throughout history. I mean, Tacitus. Philo, Josephus, and a number of other um, uh, sources would would cite or 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 have some sort of mention of Pilate. I think that's absolutely um, important to to us and to our case mm-hmm. uh, for for Christ's work, historically speaking. Yeah. So you're saying that this is a point of historicity. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think one thing that that's interesting about this this one statement, and this is the one statement that really draws into the creed um, something that is that is extra biblical, so to speak. This is something that we can that we can look to and say that there's a there's a, a quality of verisimilitude or truth likeness um, that goes on uh, in the history of the Gospels, and uh, I think that's important. I mean, if you've ever read if you've ever read ancient fiction, um, one thing that you don't see in ancient fiction is a lot of historical detail, historical characteristics, uh, things that, that that we've really, you know, since since the 19th century come to expect of of literature. We don't see that in ancient literature, but we do see it in the Gospels. And uh, I think one of the significant things when I'm talking about the historicity of the Gospels is the Gospels have a, a truth-like quality. They they refer to these to these um, real-world places, these real-world figures, and real-world um, uh, cultural phenomena that you just don't see elsewhere in ancient fiction. Uh, so I, I think it's I think it's absolutely significant for us that the creed uh, makes mention of this as well because it draws us into history. And sort of presents us with a with a kind of Christology from below in a nutshell. Mm. L- let me ask you this: Has there ever been any pushback against um, Pontius Pilate as a literal historical figure? Uh, not much. I mean, there are there are people who will question, uh, you know, the the references to Pilate crucifying Jesus in in the in the testimony of Josephus. Um, a lot of people might think that that's a later interpolation, um, and there's good cases to be made for and against um, some version of that statement being used in Josephus. But uh, I mean, we have we have now 
even archaeological evidence for, for, for pilots, such as the pilot stone that was discovered by Italian archaeologists in Caesarea in the 1960s. Um, I mean, this, this stone that was found in this arena built by, by Herod actually says Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea. I think that's I think that's pretty compelling physical evidence in addition to the the writings of Tacitus or Philo or, or you know Josephus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think again this is this is something that grounds the Gospels and it grounds the Christian tradition. No, I like historically that. speaking. I like that we have God ad intra in Himself. He's aspatial. He's without space. He's incorporeal, without flesh. He's impassable without passion, right? And uh, he's atemporal. He's without time. And yet, in the person of the Son and through the incarnation, God becomes flesh and enters into our space-time continuum. He enters into our stream of history and life. And Pontius Pilate, like you said, is an anchor uh, to remind us that he came in the flesh in our same timeline, shares our history, and uh, was under Pontius Pilate's authority and rulership as uh, the prefect and governor over the area. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring about is, as you read the Church Fathers, this is a really interesting development on Pontius Pilate. When you read the Church Fathers, you find them referring to Pontius Pilate, and a lot of them hint at or explicitly state that Pontius Pilate eventually became a believer. Uh, even Tertullian in the, in the late second century, he wrote that Pilate became, and this is a quote here, a Christian in his own convictions. Uh, elsewhere, he says that Pilate even sent word of Jesus to the Emperor Roman, uh, the Roman Emperor Tiberius, and, and Tertullian reports that Tiberius would have converted if emperors could become Christians. Uh, and next, this is an argument from silence, but Irenaeus, when he's contending with a, a Gnostic Christian sect from Alexandria, uh, their claim was that they had a portrait that Pilate painted of Jesus. And although Irenaeus, he condemned that kind of image worship, he didn't actually dispute the sect's claim to own an authentic from-life portrait of Jesus or uh, deny the possibility that Pilate might really have painted such a picture. And then Augustine explicitly suggests that Pilate not only recognized Jesus' innocence, but he recognized his divinity and converted to Christianity. Uh, From his pen, he compared Pilate with the Magi, claiming that the Magi were the first to recognize Jesus' divinity at his rising or at his birth, but Pilate was the first to recognize his divinity at his setting or his death. And then Augustine goes on to say, by washing his hands of Jesus' blood, Pilate was suggesting that Jesus' blood would wash away our sins. So certainly an allegorical reading of the washing of the hands, which I'm sure you'll uh, reference in your later work uh, (laughs) on hermeneutics. But uh, what do you take of that? Uh, The early church believing, I mean, Tertullian, the second century, uh, so not that far removed, that Pilate came to faith. How do those accounts play? Are they commemorating him, or is he infamous in this line in the Apostles' Creed? Um, I mean, if you look at things like, for instance, the Gospel of Peter, which is very fragmentary in, in, in what we what we actually retain, the Gospel of Peter, um, which is a non-sectarian uh, pseudepigraphal work, makes you know a great deal of Pilate's uh, sense of sorrow for the fact that, that Jesus had to be crucified. Now, you mentioned um, the, the sorrow. My wife and I uh, lived in Germany some years ago, and uh, we were invited to a, a, really, a really beautiful um, area of the country. There was, a, there was a monastery, very hilly. There was a, like enclosed lakes. It was very beautiful. And we were invited there by a, a very dear friend of ours. His name was Hans, and he was an older gentleman. And we were walking around 
the lake and and he looked at me and sort of matter of fact said, "You know, pilot drowned here." And and I said uh I said I I thought I misunderstood him and I maybe a friend of his and so I asked for clarification. He said, "No, the the pilot from the Bible, you know, he was so sad that he had to kill Jesus uh and he was banished here uh that he committed suicide uh here in this lake." Um, and, you know, I didn't, didn't want to hurt his feelings, didn't really believe this story, but that raised the question in my mind, what did happen to Pilate? Do we know uh, what happened to him after this event in the Gospels? Uh, no, I mean, really, really what we know is that he died, um, well, he was ordered back to Rome, um, and we know that he was replaced by Marcellus. So, I mean, really, the all we we really can gather about Pilate's life, we really gain from his his ten or eleven year uh, rule in Judea, hmm. and uh, and I mean, of course, all that data is sort of sorted at best. But I mean, it's it's that's the brief window we have into his biography is is what he did when he was prefect. Hmm. That's interesting, Doctor Putman. I uh, want to move on a little bit and. Um, Think about this suffering under Pontius Pilate, and and try to think about that in terms of the way uh, Peter, for instance, uh, preaches at, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter, Acts chapter two. And right. uh, I just I want to read this real quick here in verse twenty two and following it. It says, "Men of Israel, hear these words: Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know." This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Uh, he goes on to speak of, of the resurrection, which we'll get right. into later in our discussion. But, but I wanted to bring up this point that Jesus for sure was, suffered under Pontius Pilate. But here, Peter attributes uh, Jesus' death and his suffering on the cross for sins um, to God and according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So I wonder if you could open that up for us, that the relationship between um, Pilate's, um, I guess you could say, like his, his guilt or his responsibility in the action of delivering Jesus over to be crucified and God's plan in bringing about salvation through his death. Sure. Well, whenever I talk about uh, this issue in class, why did Jesus die, I say that there's multiple levels that we have to uh, address whenever we're answering that question. And uh, I, I get a little bit of my, my understanding about what I'm about to tell you from, a, from, a, from an Indian sociologist named Roy Basker, who, who I, I, I became aware of reading Alistair McGrath. Um, he talks about something called stratified reality. And what he's talking about is that when we have a conception of reality as something outside of our mind, that there are multiple layers of reality um, that can be peeled back, and, and in so doing, multiple layers require multiple disciplines and multiple approaches. And so when we talk about something as significant as the death of Jesus, we have theological reasons why Jesus would die. But we also have historical reasons why Jesus would die. And we would even have, you know, scientific or biological explanations as to why Jesus would die. So how we would answer that question, why Jesus died, you could use any number of disciplines to explain. Um, 
But um, in the stratified reality that is the death of Jesus, there are historical reasons for why Jesus died. Historical pressures that are put on put on Pilate by by Rome to suppress any sort of insurrection um, that might come about. And we see this repeatedly in the first century, um, and really the first century BC and the second century AD as well, wherein a number of so-called messiahs that, that posed any sort of threat to, to Roman authority and rule were put down. And I think Jesus was, uh, was, was one of many in that respect, although Jesus is categorically different because he was innocent and, uh, to my knowledge, the only messiah that came back from the dead as well. Uh, so so you, have, you have certainly those sorts of things going on, but you also have sort of the tensions that are going on in the uh, religious political sphere of Second Temple Judaism. I mean, Jesus obviously posed a threat to the powers that be um, in the temple system, and we see this in the cleansing of the temple. I mean, uh, you, you could say that, that there are distal causes. Jesus causes this sort of tension or threat to, to Jewish religious authority, but the proximate cause, I mean, the immediate cause, I think, for Jesus' death would be, would be the temple cleansing incident because, I mean, this is the straw that breaks the camel's back, historically speaking. Right. This, is, this is what drives the, the Jewish religious authorities to use Pilate, essentially, to, uh, to, to put Jesus out of the way. And I, 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 think, I think this is a sort of symbiotic event. I mean, I'm not placing the blame entirely on the Jewish religious leadership because Pilate, of course, um, had to protect Rome from insurrection. And, and as we'd seen with a number of Jewish uh, messiahs before and afterwards, you know, they, they just weren't going to tolerate um, Caesar's authority being overruled by men who claimed to be earthly kings. Aside from Caesar. Picking up on the theological ramifications and, and even thoughts of processing what happened on the cross, uh, we recited and talked about last week in the Creed that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And in last week's episode, uh, we talked about how the Son, the second person of the Trinity, has two natures, a human and a divine nature. And we talked about the appropriateness of saying that Mary gave birth or brought forth God, that she is Theotokos. Well, now we're on the other end, uh, the sunset of Jesus' life. And if we say that Mary brought forth God, when you talk about God's plan of salvation that required Jesus to die, well, we know that Jesus is God. So the obvious question is, did God die on the cross? Well, it's interesting that you bring this up because in Luther's discussion of the Theodicus, he mentions Pilate, and he, and he says that we've probably made too big a fuss about Mary in, in talking about the Theodicus. We, we could just as well talk about Pilate as, as the one who, who killed God. I don't know that I would go as far as Luther did in, in, in saying some of that. A lot of this hangs on how we understand the communication of the attributes. So I, I tend to interpret them as saying that, that there are distinct attributes of each nature, but even though there are distinct attributes of each nature, they refer to the same person. And, and, and of course, we we can easily talk about this on a on an issue like 
like Jesus feeling physical sensations. Absolutely. Uh, we we would say that 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 um, Jesus felt physical sensations like physical pain in his human nature, um, but not necessarily in his divine nature. Now Luther would have said just the opposite. Luther would say that the divine nature somehow experiences these physical sensations. And of course, Luther will will go so far as to, on the flip side, you know, teach things like the ubiquity of Christ, human nature, sure, um, which is you know the sort of the the grounding of consubstantiation. But but yeah, it's an interesting question. I, theologically, I I have difficulty coming to to say something like God died because I conceive of God as a necessary being that God. God is life. God retains the attribute of aseity. But I, I, I have no difficulty whatsoever saying that Christ died because in Christ we have joined together two natures, two distinct natures with two distinct attributes. So Donald Fairbairn has been helpful here in parsing out the person-nature distinction and a proper and way to discuss what happened in the incarnation. And we say that natures don't act. Persons act right. through natures. Mm-hmm. Is that right? So we would say that Jesus was hungry. Uh, if, and we would say, was Jesus God? Does God eat? Does he experience hunger? Well, we would say, no, he's impassable. We would say the son, the second person of the Trinity, hungered through his human nature. Right. And so did God bear the sins of the world on the cross uh, through his human nature? Yes, the son, the second person of the Trinity did, but not in his divine nature because in him is no darkness. He is light. Right. And uh, that's the reality. And so we can say the son, who is God, the second person of the Trinity, died on the cross through his human nature. Sure. Which I think bleeds into the last thing we want to talk about is we've been discussing the person of Christ, the historicity of Christ, and uh, you did a great job painting a historical context mm-hmm. around it. But we want to talk about the work of Christ on the cross. Uh, and three things in particular I had in mind uh, we'll want to hit on the work of the Son on the cross in regards to his obedience, his sacrifice, and his propitiation. And here we're riffing on the line, he was crucified and died. Yeah, well, I, I don't mean to, to get too far ahead into what you guys are planning to talk about next week, but it, it is interesting that when Calvin discusses the Apostles' Creed, he reverses the order, logically speaking. And he said he descended, he says that, that under Pontius Pilate, he was crucified, descended into hell, and died. The idea being that what we see is that. Jesus taking on the sins of the world, at least in Calvin's understanding, was a descent into hell. Hmm. It, it, it was a great burden that, that no one else could possibly understand or conceive, and, and that the, the suffering that Jesus went through to take on God's wrath, to take on propitiation, to, to take on the things that we so rightly deserved are things that are completely out of our scope of understanding. But it was a kind of hell, something, something unlike anything else that's ever happened in history. So with that reverse order that, that Calvin gives us about uh, Christ's descent into, we could say, a hell, right, just, just for now, um, before we, we really start unpacking that in our next episode, the reason that that occurred um, was to display um, extreme obedience, was to provide a perfect sacrifice so that propitiation for sin can be made. Uh, could you unpack those terms for us? Can you explain exactly what happened 
uh, on the cross? Uh, well, uh, I mean, of course, there's this sort of ongoing debate in, in Pauline studies right now about you know the, the traditional terms that we've seen since the Reformation about active and passive obedience uh, of Christ and whether or not these are imputed to us the way that Luther, Melanchthon, and, and, and really Calvin uh, believed. But I, I think it's, it's clear from Scripture that what Jesus did was the perfect example of, of obedience, not just, not just in regards to some sort of passive act on Jesus' part, but Jesus, Jesus endured all things, despising the shame. He did, he did something remarkable in modeling obedience for us uh, on the cross. Um, and of course, the the association with sacrifice is 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 pretty clear. I mean, I I, I think no author in Scripture really uh, articulates uh, the nature of Christ's sacrifice better than um, the author of Hebrews, who mm. is intentionally drawing all of these connections between Christ and the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. So Christ is then the satisfaction of God's wrath right. he, against he's. The satisfaction of God's wrath, but not only the satisfaction. I mean, to use the Calvin's terminology, he's the substitution. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's he acts on our behalf, uh, in our place. And what you, what you're hinting at is penal, so the punishment, right. substitutionary atonement. So he That's took right. our punishment. And what's interesting, we can tie almost all three of these things in the Isaiah 53 passage, where it says that he was pleased to crush him. Uh, how do we take that? Well, on the cross, as we mentioned, uh, under, assuming Calvin's understanding of descent into hell as the Son of God experiencing the wrath of God against uh, all unrighteousness being poured out on the Son while he's on the cross, he's experiencing hell bodily in his human nature. So as the Son suffers uh, our punishment, uh, the Father is pleased in the Son because it's the height of his obedience, Philippians mm-hmm. 2, even death, death unto a cross. And he is that sacrifice, and by his wounds we are healed. We can almost tie all three of those together using Isaiah 53. That's wonderful. Yeah. Which Isaiah 53 makes it clear that this is ultimately God who is responsible mm-hmm. for the death of Jesus. I mean, it's or for the death of the suffering servant here. It's, it's the chastisement that brought us peace was something that was given to him. Um, and by what he did, by his stripes, we experience the healing that we so desperately long for. Yeah, that's good, because both times you see crushed in 53 is uh, uh, verse 5 when he says he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and then you jump down, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. That's good. Lest anyone think we're reading theologi- a lot of th- theology into the creed, uh, as Dr. Haken pointed out, this was a baptismal creed. Mm. Uh, this was uh, an expression, a public expression of their faith, and so there's assumed to uh, at least hint at the work of the Son and his sacrifice, though it's not explicitly stated in that way in this line, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. But the reality is, at a ba- as a baptismal confession, they're attesting to the atonement. Right. Of course, we don't. We don't have developed at this point in time a, a nuance of, of the meaning of atonement. And, of course, most people in the first uh, millennium of Christianity would have held to something like a ransom theory. But I, I, I certainly think that that's part of, of the overall scheme here, that, that atonement is in view. I mean, I think that's the core of the gospel laid out by, by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. 
Uh, so death for sins is probably something that's in the background, even in the construction of, of this particular creed. Well, we've been discussing the fourth line of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Because Pilate was so well known in the ancient world, the fact that he is mentioned in the creed lends credibility to the historicity and veracity of Christ's crucifixion. After all, he could have been left out. Answering that contentious question of whether or not God died on the cross, it is clear that while the human nature of Christ died and was laid in the tomb for three days, the divine nature of Christ, that being God, is necessarily immutable in all his aseity and so did not die on the cross. And it was that death, the death of Christ, the Messiah, that opened up the possibility of restoration, redemption, and salvation through atonement for sins, a promise that God made all the way back in Genesis. Well, we hope that you join us next time with special guest Dr. Nathan Finn of Union University when we discuss the sixth line of the creed, I believe in Jesus Christ who descended into hell. So What Podcast is a production of the people of Mars Hill. For more information about this, visit pomh.org.